Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're continuing on the subject of prayer as taught by Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we took a careful look at Jesus' warning about praying hypocritically. We learned that that kind of prayer may earn you congratulations from men, but it displeases God. We might call that lesson, How Not to Pray. Now in verses 9 through 15, Jesus will teach us how to pray. This is our second week on the topic of prayer. I got a bit ahead of myself last week and mistakenly gave you this week's sermon title. Last week was from the sermon titled, When You Pray. This week, the title is, Pray Like This, Part 1, and we'll focus on verses 9 and 10. Next week, we'll take you all the way through verse 15 with Part 2. Here is today's piece of the message entitled, Pray Like This, Part 1. Well, for today, we're going to return to the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to come to what is a very familiar passage of Scripture, one of those places in the Bible that many people who have no clue about who Jesus really is have memorized these words. Many say them every day, um, and we're going to look at them in their context. Now, what is the context? Well, it's the continuing context of the entire Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching about a, a type of righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They had let the uh, Old Testament, Old Covenant degenerate into a works righteousness system. And they justified themselves based on the things that they did and didn't do. And this sermon has many themes, but the underlying one is exposing the hypocrisy of that belief system That's mainly in chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. And now, exposing practices that go along with that belief system. That's chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Attacking the scribes and the Pharisees rather directly. Well, we now come to the model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples in the context of talking about the kind of prayer that they the people who heard him that day, had been exposed to all their lives. Now think about Jesus' reason for teaching this prayer. As I said, many who don't even know Christ repeat this prayer by, by memory. Um, and many Christian groups throughout history have made it into, uh, made this passage look as if it's a command to pray this exact prayer over and over, whether it be in personal devotions or in a church service, a public service um, like this. Now, it certainly isn't wrong to recite this prayer. It's not wrong to memorize this prayer. If it truly expresses your heart, if you can recite it with meaning and genuineness, 
that's perfectly fine, just as, this, as it's perfectly fine to incorporate any portion of Scripture in your prayers if you want to. Learning to think biblically is a good thing. But there's an obvious danger in reciting this or any other prayer recorded in the Bible frequently. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their formalism and their ritualism, which replaced the reality of what worship was supposed to be in, in many ways. As we come to this text that you're going to find so familiar, and we're going to look at the first part of it today, remember what Jesus just said. These are the words where we left off last time we studied the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now let me ask you, Do you think there is even the slightest chance that the next thing that Jesus said after those words is something that he intended people to recite by memory over and over? That that can't possibly be the main application of this. He's going to introduce this prayer. Pray then in this way. He did not say, pray then in these words. This is not a formula. This is a model prayer. It's a pattern for praying. And our prayers should imitate the characteristics of this prayer. No problem if they also include the words of this prayer. But it's, it's a sample for us, if you will. It is usually called the Lord's Prayer. That title is a bit of a, of a misnomer. Uh, if you want to start an argument uh, sometime over the, over the dinner table... Ask somebody where the Lord's Prayer is and then tell, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, This is the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus gave to the disciples. You could argue that if there is a Lord's Prayer, then that would be John chapter 17, the prayer that is the words of Jesus that he prayed uh, just before he was arrested and went to the cross. And the point is, putting labels on either one of them doesn't matter. This is a sample. Now, there are characteristics of this prayer that you can appropriately and profitably copy in your own prayers. You'll see some characteristics of it, and I'll introduce these to you now, and so as we work through it, you can remember these things. You'll notice that this is a brief prayer. There are three simple parts to it. There's an an invocation addressing God, our Father, who is in heaven, and then there are six sort of bullet point petitions, specific requests covering quite a breadth of subjects. Three of them address God and three of them address human needs. Then there is a conclusion, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The entire prayer is approximately 70 words in all. That's not a lot. And then we're going to add in the postscript, which is verses 14 and 15. You'll also notice as you work through this prayer that the priority is the glory of God. This model prayer gives first and foremost attention to God, to His name, to His kingdom, to His will. Then the human needs that are mentioned here, bread, pardon for sin, victory over Satan, those take second place. 
That comes after you put God in the right place that, that he belongs in your life. Now, it's foreign to a society like ours to think of praying without, first and foremost, talking about our feelings and our desires and our needs at the top of the list. But this is the pattern that we should follow as this prayer guides us. And you'll notice also that in just 70 words or so, there is amazing breadth. It's wrapped up in these six pithy petitions. It spans from the glory of God and His eternal purposes in the first three, the three that we're going to see today, to our own needs in the last three. It goes from our physical needs, daily bread, to our spiritual needs, forgiveness, etc. It ranges from our present need for bread to the need generated by our past, the need for forgiveness, to our future need for victory when the kingdom comes. And you'll notice that it, it isn't at all a selfish prayer. As a matter of fact, um, when people are taught to pray this uh, personally, there's a missing element to that because the pronouns are all plural, us and our, indicating that this pattern for prayer should indicate our identific- should, should include indicating our identification with all of the people of God. This is how His people come to address Him. Now, I'm going to give you a little schematic outline of the entire prayer. We're not going to get all the way through it uh, today. But it starts out with the target, our Father who is in heaven. That's the beginning of verse 9. Then there are six petitions that take us through the rest of verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, and then the conclusion in verse 13. And as I said, we will include as connected to this prayer the the postscript, if you will. So let's start out with the target, the pattern. Who do you pray to? Verse 9, chapter 6, pray then in this way, in this manner, here's here's the sample for you, Our Father who is in heaven. Now, not everybody is entitled to pray that way. Well, I guess anybody can say the words, but not everybody has the the privilege to address God in this way. This is the exclusive prerogative of Christians. People who, by personal faith, are in Christ. Now, I know, let's not get the... Let's not get things out of place. Um, The concept of being in Christ wasn't introduced yet at that time. But Jesus is talking to people and saying, if you are uh, believing in me, here is the way to pray. Wrap that up into the whole New Testament. It's for those who are in Christ. To use the word Father for God in the Gospels is exclusively reserved for those who follow him who believe in Him, who humble themselves before Him, who are in a personal relationship with Him. And now, the idea that, there, that God is the universal Father over all creation because He made it, there's a certain legitimacy to that. that that's not untrue. But it's not the way that Jesus uses the term in the Gospels. Sometimes he, he said it when He was talking about a person's biological father, uh, and when He was Talking about it, he was always referring to a legal and real relationship. But 
sometimes he used it of the faith relationship, and that's the one who can truly call God Father. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.